Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Musiawara Connecting ASEAN and Europe, the podcast series of the European Parliament in ASEAN. This episode focuses on the situation in Myanmar as we approach the two-year anniversary of the military coup. Since the 1st of February 2021, nearly 16,500 people have been arrested for opposing the coup, and the junta has resumed use of the death penalty for the first time in three decades. It has razed villages, bombed hospitals, schools, and even a concert. Up to 1.3 million people are displaced. And the country's leaders have been detained on baseless and politically motivated charges. To discuss all of this and the question of how the international community can best support the restoration of democracy in Myanmar, I am joined by Vice President of the European Parliament, Heidi Hautala, and Ong Myo Min, Minister for Human Rights in Myanmar's National Unity Government. The warmest of welcomes to both of you. Thank you so much. I am Jim Maher from the European Parliament in ASEAN, and the interview that follows was recorded on the 8th of December 2022. Starting with you, Minister Ong Myo Min, you are a lifelong human rights defender, whether it's of the rights of women, young people, refugees, migrant workers or the LGBTIQ plus community. Over the past two years, the military has shown flagrant disregard for human rights. Can you give our listeners an insight into the human rights situation in the country right now? Thank you so much. All the data and information you brief, just correct. It's a, just a glimpse of the human rights violations and human rights situation in my country. The military attempted to stage a coup, which is a clear violation of the result of the elections. People participated in the elections and voted for their, the government they want to see, but military attempted to stage a coup, and human rights violations started. The situation now getting worse and worse. Military intensified the armed forces in you know, using their mighty military power to kill the civilians across the country, destroyed many villages, and burned down the houses of people, especially in the area where they thought there's a great resistance against the military. As a result, we have thousands, I would say one by one million people become displaced and lost their houses and their native lands. So this is the situation. At the same time, political prisoners are treated badly during the interrogation as well as during the detention. And some of them are given sentence, death sentence, without proper legal rights to defense. And all the military tribunes are just a court without practicing any judicial system. So this is the glimpse of the situation. Myanmar is facing both human rights situation and humanitarian crisis at the same time, unfortunately. Minister, you mentioned uh, those who have been detained. I believe it's now still up to 13,000 or more than 13,000. And there was um, uh, much talk a few weeks ago when uh, the junta announced that they were releasing people and then apparently reports of people being immediately rearrested. Uh, you mentioned the secret of uh, tribunals where I believe last week another 10 people, uh, including uh, university students, were sentenced to death uh, behind closed doors. Can you comment on these uh, sentencings and, uh, and the rule of law situation in general? Well, you know that the military said they released about 6,000 pe people from the detention. But actually, 
These are the people who were arrested at the beginning of the statement, the military coup, and they're supposed to release, you know, in next three months. So they're not giving any amnesty. They just make an earlier release to the who's supposed to release very soon. So this is just a political, you know, stunt, a political you know, play the military want to tell the, the world that country is back to situation, people got released. But actually, there's still many political prisoners. And um, beside that, you know, military has been using the death sentence against the people who are strongly supporter of the MLD, strongly activists for democracy movement. The, the court system in Myanmar and judicial system as a whole is totally collapsed. There's no independent court at all. Military used the military tribunal. Military used their, their, their closed court to send us whatever they want to the people who are strong supporters and activists. So people have no right to say no, no right to bring lawyer, no right to testify and getting the witnesses. So this is the, what is happening at the judicial system. Moreover, these are not supposed to give gather descendants. They are peaceful demonstrators. They are not the criminals. So putting the death sentence to the activists is not the execution by the state. It is the, the military-backed killing of the activists using the Unlawful Execution Act in the country. Vice President Haley Hautala, when one listens to the litany of atrocities committed by the junta, uh, it becomes clear that there is a complete disdain for the efforts of the international community to lead Myanmar out of the conflict. The European Parliament has already in the past two years adopted four resolutions um, on the situation in the country. Can you outline the Parliament's position? The European Parliament um, has uh, strongly condemned uh, all the atrocities um, by uh, the military and uh, the dismantling of uh, rule of law and, and any um, democratic institutions. We, of course, also co um, condemned uh, the fact that um, uh, the um, uh, democratically elected parliament uh, at elections in uh, November 2020 uh, were sort of um, ousted and um, that the, the elected parliament was ousted. So um, the parliament is very much calling for recognition and visibility to the democratic forces uh, fighting uh, the junta, the, the Tatmadaw, the army. And um, uh, we very much want to see that the, the European Union will be a, a much stronger part of, um, of um, uh, the opposition uh, measures against the, the military coup. And we're not quite happy um, uh, with how the uh, sanctions and the isolation of the junta has taken place. There's much more that could be done. Um, for instance, um, the coordination of the sanctions by, by the United States and the European Union is not really very efficient. So, um, and I want to add that uh, we, of course, support all the measures on accountability. And it's very important now that um, evidence is collected about the atrocity so that uh, whatever future tribunal will be uh, dealing with these um, this, um, atrocities and crimes against humanity, war crimes, uh, that the evidence is there. And uh, the moment uh, collecting this evidence is now, and it is going on. Vice President Hedi Hautala, just you mentioned the issue of sanctions, and just last month, I think on the two-year anniversary of the 
last elections in Myanmar, both the United States and the European Union announced new sanctions targeted at the military regime. I believe in the case of the EU, there are now sanctions on 84 individuals and 11 entities. Is it enough? Um, there's one issue that I'm very eager to, to discuss with the minister, uh, because um, uh, the junta is uh, mainly performing uh, airstrikes. And where do they get access to their jet fuel? Uh, this is a question that I think should be addressed by the international community. So perhaps, uh, Minister, you can um, give your view on, let's say, the importance of this issue and whether you think that the, the international community should and could do more there. So first, thank you for taking the actions of the sanction of Myanmar and the military, not Myanmar, but the military, <laughs> the regime, the uh, hunter of Myanmar. So that is, that's a very effective, and this is very much in line with our call for economic sanction. Also, your question related to our another call, the arm embargo, the military supplies to the military. Military, their, their power they have is weapons. They know how to control the people using fear as a tool. Mm. And the weapon plays a very important role for them to control. So that's why we are calling arm embargo not to sell any you know, weapons or any ammunition. This is what first call. But later in recently, as you mentioned, military has been launching airstrikes against the civilians. It's like another form of killing fees in the country. So people, they, they use the jet fighters from Russia and some, you know, old factions, you know, aircraft uh, from China. So these are the two major weapons they received, especially their, their, for the Navy. So this, this kind of thing should be stopped. At the same time, they're also using the, uh, the aviation fuel that supply them, the jet fighters to fly over and then to kill to the civilians. So the aviation fuel should be included in sanctions or an embargo to cut all the supplies. So this, this is you know, coming from different sources. But according to our the reliable sources, some companies uh, provide that kind of aviation fuel through Singapore. Singapore is that kind of you know transit place to receive the aviation fuel and then sub directly supporting the military navy. So it should be included in all this kind of sanctions and also included in our call for military and embargoes. The role of Singapore is very interesting also in another way because um, we have a reason to believe that um, uh, the military is channeling their money through banks in Singapore. So that's clearly something that uh, the international community and the European Union very much should now try to address much more efficiently than it has done before. This is a good point you mentioned. Even though you know there are many sanctions by EU and United States on Myanmar, that kind of you know the many channel and transition channel towards the military should be monitored and finding out to make that kind of sanction more effective and efficient. Hedy, you mentioned the international response, and in recent months you were the chair of the International Parliamentary Inquiry on Myanmar. What is the inquiry's overall assessment of the response of the international community, and what courses of action has it recommended? I would perhaps um, raise three points uh, of the recommendations. After 
tens and tens and tens of hours of, uh, of uh, listening to uh, witnesses, experts, stakeholders, we came to the conclusion, firstly, that it's very important now to realize that the, the, the military has crossed all the acceptable lines in, in all possible ways and uh, that the international community must be very determined in isolating uh, the, the junta. Uh, from any influence and also to exhaust it from its resources because we already know since uh, since years and years that it's it's an owner of uh, a very large uh, commercial enterprises so we have to exhaust the resources of the junta so that it stops killing people mm. and and um, then the second is that um, uh, this is an important time to uh, give recognition and uh, strong support to the democratic forces so that they can start to, to um, shape the future of Myanmar, uh, a democratic, uh, peaceful uh, Myanmar. And um, unfortunately, um, we haven't seen that very much. So um, our call very much also from the European Parliament is that the EU should uh, recognize the legitimacy of the national unity government that you represent, Minister, mm -hmm. and all the other democratic forces and, and support their capacity building. So that's also coming from our, our parliamentary inquiry. And thirdly, the humanitarian issue that um, all this has uh, created a very severe humanitarian crisis and um, the international community must be very much more efficient in uh, delivering humanitarian aid. And our take is that um, it should best happen uh, through the local uh, communities uh, around the border, for instance, between the border between Thailand and Myanmar, because a lot of people are suffering and that has to, to be... Um, addressed by the international community. So these three things, isolation of the junta, strong support for the democratic forces, and a much more efficient humanitarian response. Ong Min, Haiti just mentioned the issue of recognition, capacity building support. As a minister in the national unity government, what support are you looking for from the international community? I fully support um, Haiti's you know, recommendations to make their military isolation by doing economic sanction first, by doing arm embargo second, by t cutting all this culture of impunity mm. is the third. So we call three cuts approach to the military, cutting the supplies, cutting arms, cutting the, the culture of impunity. So make them accountable for the crimes they have. But on the other hand, we also calling three plus, three supports to the, our movement. First is the diplomatic support, recognizing NUG as the legitimate government and recognizing the rule of the leadership of the NUG along with other key players like, uh, you know, ethnic resistance, other CSO and other people like we call NUCC, National Consultative Council of, you know, Myanmar. So this is the first, you know, support, diplomatic support. Second support, very much in line with your call, support humanitarian assistance through the NUG and through the civil society, through the ethnic organization. Because in this situation, many areas who are desperately need humanitarian assistance not under the control of the military anymore. They are run by the local you know, administrative systems, run by the ethnic areas, so that you know, directly engaging with the local stakeholders and the local mechanisms to support 
and to reach the humanitarian assistance. Third one is the support for democracy and human rights of the movement. So we are building, like you mentioned, that documentation of the cases is very important. These are the evidence for the future legal cases, for future accountability, to bring the justice back to the people. So that, that kind of support for the human rights documentation and also building the state-building trend of future federal constitution, how we can respect the right of the everyone, how we can solve the, the past you know, conflict of misunderstanding and mis, misuse of power by one group. So this kind of you know, uh, human rights and democratic support to make a movement for future dream of the Federal Democratic Union is, is a must. I, I find it very encouraging that um, what we see happening now around this uh, shaping of a new constitution, that uh, perhaps um, uh, this will uh, indeed uh, lead into a federal inclusive um, uh, Myanmar, which recognizes all the ethnicities and uh, more importantly, we have taken note that uh, there are also attempts to include the Rohingya population in within this constitution, which is uh, really very necessary to us. Yeah, as a minister of human rights, you know, I very encourage this kind of spring revolution make the people to think differently, to see the problem as a national issue, not like a one group, you know, call for one particular group. Mm. So the Rohingya issue is no longer taboo, you know, among ourselves. Now for the NUG, we have a very clear position on the Rohingya last year that is clearly saying that we recognize the terminology of Rohingya officially. So it was not used by the, any previous government. That's one first, one first thing. Second thing, we noted crimes against humanity and other crimes taking place against the Rohingya people, and we are very much committed to bring the justice of the Rohingya people along with other you know, minority groups. At the same time, we committed to repeal the 1982 citizenship law, which is one of the root causes of that. And then we coordinated with the you know, Rohingya groups, especially from the refugee camps along the border, and also providing as much as we could for humanitarian assistance, education and health assistance. Ong Yeol Min, part of the international response that we've been discussing to the Myanmar crisis is the role of ASEAN, the five-point consensus. What, in your view, are the next steps for ASEAN following the Phnom Penh summit? Well, before the, the Phnom Penh summit, we requested the ASEAN to rethink their five-point consensus because it is not successful as they wish to see. It's so many delays and the lack of progressive because the military did not want to listen and they even make fool of ASEAN not listening and making more abuses. When the ASEAN call or something, they committed more crimes. So the, it is very clear the five point concepts of the ASEAN have a good intention but not effective enough to change the situation of Myanmar. But, you know, it did not come as the way we wish, but at least there's a, some progress. You know, there's similar strategies of five-point consensus, but there's more concrete 
time-bound results and agreed to engage with the NUG and others, but not clear how it would be. So still nice word, but no clear action plan how to do it. So we really want to see that the time-bound should be set up clearly and then also prepare for another action if the military failed to take you know, obligation on that. And clearly saying that ASEAN alone is not enough. So ASEAN should coordinate it, should coordinate with the other international, you know, friendly countries and, you know, freedom-loving, human-rights-loving countries to make a concrete change by taking global coordination action together. Haiti, has the international communities in some way been shirking its responsibility by putting all the responsibility on ASEAN? I think this has happened to some extent. <laughs> and of course, I mean, now we have, um, in the next days even, we have uh, the forthcoming commemorative summit between the EU and ASEAN countries to celebrate 45 years of relations. And I take it um, as uh, granted that uh, the Myanmar issue has to be on the agenda. And this is also an opportunity for the EU to realize that it has to be a shared responsibility to, to find solutions. So I think by now um, we must have seen that the so-called five-point consensus of, uh, of ASEAN from uh, May 2021 has not led to any improvement. Rather, as the minister has said, deterioration of the situation. So uh, the EU can encourage ASEAN to take more, let's say, side of, uh, of the people of Myanmar and not pretend that it can stay um, neutral. But, um, of course, um, the EU has a key role to play in the sanctions issue, for instance. And the EU could be much more vocal in international organizations, in UN and others, uh, to sort of keep this issue alive in the international attention. Because what we have seen is that uh, we tend to be a bit Eurocentric again. We have war on our continent, the Russian invasion uh, in Ukraine. But it doesn't uh, mean that we should be silent about other crises and other sufferings of, of people uh, a bit farther away. So, yes, uh, the EU can uh, expect uh, ASEAN to be more determined, but it has to do its own responsibility. And I look very much forward to what the uh, EU leaders our member states, ASEAN member state leaders, will say about the Myanmar crisis next week. The first, you know, the Western countries think ASEAN, Myanmar issue is the issue of ASEAN because Myanmar is the member state of the ASEAN. Myanmar is in the region. Um, but it is very clear Myanmar issue is not only the regional issue but also international threat. It is, you know, we must very, uh, you know, clearly understand that. We also see, for instance, what you mentioned, Minister, mm. that um, that Russia and China are ardent supporters of uh, the junta. Uh, and this is very much uh, a concern for us in Europe as well. So I think you are quite right when you say that uh, the situation is an international threat as well. And also a challenge for the, the justice, mm. challenge for the human rights and you know, crimes. Because all the human rights violations now constitute the crime against humanity, world crime, and the crime genocide against the Rohingya people. So this kind of you know crimes should be accountable, should be you know handled with the international judicial system. Make sure that justice is available, and international judicial system is ready to prove that no crimes 
should be tolerated. Minister Ong Yomin, the National Unity Government of which you are a member has been leading a resistance war against the junta now for over a year. What is your assessment of the current state of the resistance? The resistance strategy is one of the strategies. It's not the only one strategies we are using. Why we are, you know, understand the defensive resistance by the people, especially the people defense forces, we also emphasize international play a very important role and economic sanctions and some other administrative systems should be restored. This is our strategy. But at the same time, we appreciate that, you know, people start defending themselves to protect themselves from the military invasion into their communities. So this, they are using the UN form of right to protect by themselves. So though I want to justify that this, we are not pro-war, but you know, this is the right to defense because there's no one come and help them to stop the, the atrocities. So it started with the small people movement, especially by the young people with all the weapons available themselves. But now they're getting united. They are more systematic. And then there's, you know, most of them are under the control of the national unity government. So this military change of command is getting in function. And also the kind of systematic military strategies together with the ethnic resistance forces are getting better. Mm -hmm. So I would say that in many areas, I would say 52% of the countries are not under control at all by the military. The people defend forces, make a defense, restore the civilian administration, and then we have a civilian judicial system restored. So these are the success mm -hmm. of the military strategies combined with the other administrative and also other strategies. So it's getting better. But, you know, military make a really bad rhetorician against the armed resistance forces. And they also, you know, committed atrocity against the people. But this is very sad to see. But on military think, they could control the people by fear. But instead, people are more anger and very strong commitment to fight against. For me, uh, uh, the resistance, even the armed resistance by the People's Defense Army is justified in this situation. Uh, and it's very important, I think it's critically important that they stick to their commitment, that they respect the laws of war, the, the so-called Geneva Conventions, because um, obviously they apply to all war situations. Yeah. I was in the Ant Revolution 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. It's the first time, the, the 1988 uprising. So I know that how people were ready to take arms to fight against and to protect the people. But something happened, you know, sometimes, you know, we are too young. We are very angry with the, all the atrocities. So sometimes, you know, some kind of, you know, possible mistake could happen. So for prevention, that kind of crimes, we have a military code of conduct that apply to every member of the People Defense Forces. It's a mandatory military code of conduct how to treat the civilians, how to protect the women and children in unconflict and there's a guideline how to deal with anything happen you know by the military uh, military forces of us there's a case happen as a ministry of human rights i'm very committed 
to bring justice, to take up appropriate action for those who did it. And I believe that actually happened in, in recent days where the NUG um, was reminding the PDF that uh, yeah they need to stick within the guidelines that Haiti just mentioned. Haiti, the uh, UN Special Rapporteur, has described the junta's announcement that it will hold elections in 2023 as outrageous as it is absurd. Mm. Do you share this assessment? Yes, I do. And I'm a bit worried that uh, there are some views uh, among the international community that perhaps that would be an opportunity to bring forth uh, some, let's say, more conciliatory, reconciliatory voices, or even among the army. But I don't see that. And I think um, we have to be very clear that um, there are no prerequisites, no conditions developing until uh, next year where such, uh, let's say, fair and free elections would be possible. So, And also made this point um, in some discussions with the EU, because as you know, the EU is an, an important election observation force as well. And of course, we are not sending any observers, but uh, I think the EU should be even more determined to say that there are no conditions for free and fair elections, quite explicitly. Yeah, first thing I want to say is that the military is a terrorist group committing all this kind of terrorist act against the people. So they have no legitimacy. They have no authority to hold it. And this is the same military institution who refused to respect the result of the the elections. In last election, the people voted to the government and to the leaders they want to see. Military is the one who refused to respect and instead they attempt to stage a coup. So would you believe same institution who do the same thing claiming that election would be free and fair is such a joke and people should understand election conducted by the illegitimate military would be a free, fair, and you know, uh, independent election result, mm. and people would accept it. I don't think so. I guess this announcement of elections in 2023 is just like the announcement of the prisoner release that we discussed, uh, all part of the junta's efforts to create a veneer of progress. Minister, I want to finish the conversation with you. Uh, one final question. Some in Myanmar's democratic opposition no longer speak of a coup, but of an attempted coup. What is the National Unity Government's vision of a post-coup Myanmar? Well, very clear that you know we have a strong constitution that would bring equality for all, non-discrimination against anyone, and then that you know federal democratic union is ensured. And then we have a kind of clause that would stop any form of impunity in the future and prevent any form of military coup in the future. No more military coup and no more dictatorship in the country. This is ours. Many thanks for your time. European Parliament Vice President Heidi Hautala and Ong Yo Min, the Minister for Human Rights in the National Unity Government. Thank you to you both. Thank you, Thank you much. so much. Thank you for listening. For more information on the European Parliament's work and engagement with Southeast Asia, follow EP in ASEAN on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.